Our gospel today comes from the gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their heads they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The gospel of our Lord. Have you ever wondered what happens when you fry bologna? So most of you are uh, looking at me with pretty puzzled expressions on your faces, perhaps wondering why on earth this woman is asking me about fried bologna, uh, or maybe just wondering why anyone in their right mind would consider frying bologna in the first place. One of my professors in seminary would start out each semester by asking her classes this question. Most of the time, most of the students looked as puzzled as many of you do right now, but usually a few of us had some idea where she was headed with that question. Usually, those of us who know what happens when you fry bologna have lived at least a portion of our life in poverty. When you are poor, food staples like bologna become a central aspect of your diet, and you learn very quickly that in order to continue eating these staples over and over, you're going to need to get a little bit creative. When we encounter Jesus in our gospel reading for today, he has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. It's our first Sunday in this Lenten season, and we find Jesus, the human that we know will become our Savior, our Messiah, starving in the wilderness. In addition to being tempted by the devil, we see a very human Jesus fighting one of our most basic human needs, the need for food, for nourishment. Jesus is fighting through that hunger, fighting through this one portion of his humanness, right alongside the many hungry in our world. So does anybody know the the correct answer to my question, what happens when you fry bologna? 
it bubbles up, makes a great little bowl for baked beans or scrambled eggs or whatever you have on hand. In our Genesis text this morning, we hear God telling the very first human not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we get pulled into this temptation story and we learn about the choices and eventually the consequences for humanity in Eden. But before that command is given and before that human choice is made, humanity is formed from the dust. The Hebrew word used for explaining the creation of that first human from dust is the same verb that we use for the idea of crafting pottery. This dust or this earth from which humanity is originally formed is ha-adamah in the Hebrew, and the creation being formed from that dust is ha-adam, which translates to the human. And we understand the human to be this specific and distinct creation, just like a specific and lovingly made piece of art, God's masterpiece. Later, we start to understand this term more broadly, and ha-adam refers to all of humanity, all of us, and eventually even serves as the name Adam that we associate with this first created human. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, this dust creation is divided and becomes the first two humans. The Hebrew word selah is often translated as rib in our creation stories, but everywhere else that that word appears in the New Testament, we translate it as side. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear about the sides of the temple of God the sides of that temple, just like our modern-day architecture, rely on one another for stability. And it's those individual sides working together that allows a structure to stand. By translating this word as side in our creation story as well, we further emphasize this understanding of partnership and two halves of a whole working together toward a common goal. It is our partnerships and our relationships with the people around us, those in our families, those in our communities, that provide the support and the connection required for thriving in our complicated world. For this brief moment in Genesis, after creation, for just a few verses, Eden is an in-between land where humanity and all of creation are balanced. There have not yet been any difficult choices to make. There has not yet been pain or violence or suffering. It's a bit of a calm before the storm that we know is coming. Soon we hear that tr story of the trickster snake and the choices of humanity are made. And a new life full of challenge and excitement of joy and pain begins and we're led out of the in-between place of Eden. The world after Eden, the world that we all know and live as a part of, is filled with life and death, filled with choices and consequences, and filled with opportunities to care for one another and the whole of God's creation. There's a television show on Netflix called The Good Place. 
The series centers around four humans who have died and left their earthly lives. Eventually, the humans discover that they are not, in fact, in the good place. And the four of them, along with their lovable spiritual guardian, explore the complexities of human life and death through philosophy and theology in a variety of extremely profound and absolutely humorous ways. Early on in the show, one of the humans, Eleanor, is trying to explain to Michael, their guardian, what it's like to be human. And she tells him that all humans are aware of death, so we're all a little bit sad all the time. This understanding, of course, doesn't make a lot of sense to the immortal guardian, Michael, but this theme continues to come back throughout the series. Much later on, when the four humans are in the midst of their struggle to try and save the rest of humanity from the after-death fate that they encountered, Michael reminds Eleanor of her words and adds that, in fact, it is exactly this knowledge of our own mortality that gives human life meaning. Our knowledge that we do not have forever in this life ought to inspire us to live good, ethical, and moral lives now. Our world is a difficult and painful world, full of choices and temptations, and it matters what we do in the here and the now in our daily lives. It matters how we engage with our communities, how we speak to our loved ones. We do not have forever in this place. Throughout Matthew's Gospel, we see a focus on proper actions determining one's relationship to heaven, rather than an emphasis on the biological lineage that we see in some of our other books of the Bible. Here, it's Jesus' actions and his commitment to following the scriptural word when tempted by the devil that prove his status as the Son of God. We see the devil tempting Jesus with very human things, very basic needs, with food, with safety, and with power. Not only is the devil tempting Jesus with these things, the devil is also challenging Jesus to define himself and his role as the Son of God. What does it mean to be the Son of God, not only in name, but in action? If we understand Jesus' role as the Son of God, not as a status of privilege or of power, but rather as a role that is marked by obedience to God and a call to care for God's people, then we start to realize that Jesus has already begun the journey to the cross. We know that even after Jesus has held firm against the devil, has held firm against these temptations, after the angels have arrived to care for him, he's gotten something to eat. His temptations are not really over. Our own daily lives are filled with temptations and choices. In our modern world, we're constantly bombarded by media and marketing campaigns that strive to make us purchase something, to make us alter our appearance, or to encourage us to believe a variety of different truths. The season of Lent invites us to take a breath in the midst of our busy and complicated world. It invites us to examine ourselves and our lives 
and to truly consider what it means to be human. Lent allows us to set new intentions and to focus on our life and faith journeys. Historically, Lent has been a time for fasting and for repentance, a time to eat less meat and sugar and to limit or fully deny ourselves some of our certain human bodily pleasures. Following this spiritual tradition, many of us may have chosen to give up or take on something during these 40 days. Perhaps you have set an intention to get to the gym every day, or you've decided not to purchase your typical daily coffee during this season. Whatever intention you have set for yourself and your own faith journey, I would also encourage you to consider how these individual intentions can connect us not only to God and our faith, but to our communities and the larger world. Maybe you'll decide to take the money you normally spend on that daily coffee and gift it to an organization that provides clean water to those in need. Perhaps at the gym one morning, you'll strike up a conversation with someone new, and both of your days will be just a little bit brighter because of those small, simple moments of human connection. As people of faith, we know that we do not exist in the world as individual or separated silos. We exist in community. And we impact one another, both knowingly and unknowingly. We impact one another with our words, our actions, and our choices each and every day. Each of us individually are the sides that hold up and support our relationships and our communities. As we journey through this season of Lent and as we are reminded of our mortal humanness, let us also remember the promise of the resurrection, the promise of a new life after death, and the promise of a loving creator God who has formed us from the dust and calls us each by name. Amen. <laughs>